Set aside your fantasy and sci-fi doorstoppers. Sometimes big ideas come in small packages. This is Word Less. Mark, how are you doing? Hey, Allison. What's up with you? Uh, you know, I had a pretty good week and a very nice day. I had lunch with my sister and it was wonderful. It's great. And I got some good news today. I am not going to Texas. Love you, Texas, but I'm get to stay home. So, <laughs> Are you still coming to Portland? As far as I know. Okay. Well, you know what? I invited one of my internet buddies on. Her You're name always is. inviting your buddies. Who'd you invite today? I know. I have buddies. So. <laughs> Unlike me. So that's a fair yeah. point. <laughs> Hi, Tori. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? We're doing pretty good over here. Uh, I invited Tori on to discuss the short story collection, The Blink of the Screen by Terry Pratchett. Because Tori is a huge Pratchett fan. So before we get into the specific stories that we each picked. Uh, what are your general thoughts on this collection and Pratchett overall? Let's start with Tori. I know she has opinions. <laughs> uh, my thoughts on Pratchett overall is that he is a genius and unparalleled, and I love everything that he has written that I have read, and uh, I have read most of what he's written. <laughs> I have to confess something. This is my first time reading Terry Pratchett. I don't know why it took me so long to read Terry Pratchett. It was one of the best reading experiences I've had in like the last 10 years. I love this. And I know I'm late to the game, right? I, I but you came. Remember reading, you showed up. No. I vaguely <laughs> remember reading more like in college, but... I'm pretty sure I was like drunk or something during the time because I remember nothing <laughs> about it. Um, this was so much fun. And I'm not going to talk about any spoilers, but my favorite, literally my favorite part of reading the, the short stories weren't the stories. It was the forewords. Love them. So. Oh, I'm so jealous of you. You have the entire Pratchett repertoire ahead of you that remains undiscovered and you get to read it all for the first time and just so you know when i was done because i, was, I said to myself i'll just read the three short stories and that's it so at 4 a.m when i was finished reading all the all the entire book um i then went went ahead and bought the first 10 books in this world series so <laughs> i have 10 books waiting in my in my ipad for me to read as soon awesome. as we're done talking so are we gonna do more project then I think some of them are you want. Like, until I get sick of it, this was great. So, <laughs> I, I love here not to destroy, but to enjoy. How, what do you think? <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I'm I'm with you. I love the four words. Um, they weren't my favorite part. The stories were, but I just love the four words. I love him thinking about his writing and talking to us about his writing and what goes on. Just he is so funny and so cutting and just insightful into human nature in a way that is um, 
I'm not going to say unparalleled. Shakespeare was pretty insightful into human nature too, but you know what I mean? Like he's just right up there. <laughs> just compared to about, Shakespeare. <laughs> if you don't mind, before we go on, can we talk about humor for a little bit? Sure. Yeah. Because I would like your thoughts on it, but let me kind of lead with this. Humor's hard. Like it's it's hard and just just as comedians, just to say it like up on stage or just to say it verbally or just a normal conversation. And it's that much more difficult to do it in writing. And I just want your thoughts on why, because I think we all agree he's funny, Terry Patchett. Why do you think it works when he writes? So there is the whole idea that it's funny because it's true. And I think that's part of it. But he also, he's able to capture the absurdity of life. And even tragic things, like death is one of his favorite characters. Did we even read a story with death? I don't think we did. He's able to capture the absurdity and the horror of what it is to be human that just resonates. I mean, it's the same with Douglas Adams, like that whole scene. <laughs> in the very beginning of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's just, there's something really flawed but funny about being a human person in the world. And he, he, he can do it. He can capture that. What do you think, Tori? I think what really works with his humor is, like Allison said, it's, it's funny because it's true, but it, and I'm I'm gonna sound like an idiot. I'm not gonna articulate this well. It's um I'll I'll edit it out. You'll sound so <laughs> smart when I'm done editing. <laughs> she leaves she leaves all the stupid stuff when I say it. So yeah, you're good. pretty much. Yeah, that's how it is on my podcast too. <laughs> We're always like, Mike's gonna edit that out. He and he never edits it out. The thing about the the humor is that he's using it as kind of a, a like a funhouse mirror. And and I, I think he said as much as in an interview, but um you you take the the hardest and most painful parts of life and then you make them all funny and you show them back and it it makes them more uh more bearable. Like the, these are the things that we don't want to look at too closely about ourselves and about society and when it, when you put a humorous slant on them it makes them more bearable and it it makes you actually stop and say oh yeah okay let's let's look at this further oh also before the thought gets away from me uh, there was a, a story with death in this book we just didn't it, read it it just wasn't one of the ones we picked <laughs> right no i think those are good points troy I would say for humor, at least for me, when I enjoy humor, it's usually because the writer seems it exhibits three traits, which Trey Pratchett does. One is, and you guys have touched on it, they have some level of empathy with the human condition. So they, they get it, right? And two, they're a keen observer of the human condition. So it's the little things that we kind of gloss over that they seem to hone in on, right? And three, at least with Terry Pratchett, he writes like I imagine someone actually talking. So when I'm reading it, I'm like, I'm 
I feel like I'm standing over someone's shoulder listening to an actual conversation. That's really hard to do, but that's every single story. Even the one that you did, Tori, that's how I felt, right? Yes. Less so maybe with mm-hmm. yours, but still, even in that one, I felt that. And that's a gift. Yes. It's a gift. And, so, and we'll talk, we'll that, that is a tone that he maintains through all of his fiction, the entire Discworld series. I think that's, and, but also he was such a clever man, just the wordplay and the, the bizarre scenarios that the characters get into. It, it, they're, they're clever. And, uh, but that, that conversational tone um, just throughout all of his works. We also get the footnotes. The footnotes are amazing. Oh my gosh, I love the footnotes. <laughs> uh, actually, well, why uh, get into the stories? <laughs> <laughs> Mark's like, footnotes. I don't want to talk about footnotes. No, no, no. Uh, all right. Uh, <laughs> before we get into the stories. So a lot of the stories that are in this collection, I had actually read before in a, a, a book that had a limited run. I think it was only available like at one convention and there were oh. only a few hundred copies of this book. And when it came out, I like, I couldn't get to the convention, but I ordered the book. This, this would have been maybe almost 20 years ago. And it's called Once More with Footnotes. <laughs> and- <laughs> wow. I love it. Okay, so we are going to be reading three stories. I will, in the show notes, put timestamps for when we start each story so that you can go ahead and skip it if you don't want to talk about or you haven't read it or you're worried about spoilers although i don't know why you would worry about spoilers in a terry pratchett book but i don't worry about them anyway so first up we have tori with (laughs) the hades business wait and and what i like is when you tell the story i want to know why you picked the story and same with you allison okay Okay, so um, the Hades business is actually the first story in this collection, and it does say in the introduction um, by Terry Pratchett uh, that he wrote this story when he was 13 years old. He was still in school, and uh, a, a teacher is the the one who who told him this is this is really good, and this should be published. And um, he does mention in the introduction that. Uh, this is such amateur writing and he's very embarrassed. And I felt like this was good. It was good. Like for him to consider it amateur writing, like if I was reading any other collection of short stories, you know, random best of science fiction, whatever edited by some person I've never heard of. (laughs) This, this story would have blended right in and deserved no, like I, I would have had no notes, no, no criticisms. Um, the, the only thing is it, it's Terry Pratchett and I know it's Terry Pratchett. So I know that it could have been better. And I, I, there's a couple of spots where I'm like, yeah, okay. I see where he might've made some changes there, but, um, as, as a first attempt, it is gold. I mean, I have read many, many, many short stories that are way worse yes. than the short story. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Hello. Go, ahead. Uh, go ahead. I was going to go on to the summary unless you had something else to say. No, well, uh, all I was going to say is uh, it, what struck me the most about the book, about this story, was the foreword itself, where he said he wrote it when he was 13. 
And I kind of kept that in mind as I read it. Have any of you ever met someone who's truly gifted in something? I, we all say, oh, I'm someone smart at this or smart at that, but someone who's actually truly gifted at this one thing. And that's what I came away with when I read, that, read the story. Is like he had a genuine gift for yes. writing. It was just it was a pure gift. So, like, like this is a master at work. Yeah, he definitely right. is somebody who was born to do what he did. Yeah. A summary. Yes. Yes, please. All right. The Hades business. This is the story of Crucible, who is an advertising executive of uh, questionable morality, who uh, one day gets visited by the devil, who uh, tells him that hell is not what it used to be, and business has been really slow lately, and he is looking for a way to, like, kind of liven things up a bit. Uh, so, Crucible, after haggling the price for his uh, abilities, uh, Takes a little trip to the on location and uh, comes away with many notes. And so, after a uh, a few renovations here and there, and a, a positive press campaign for the devil, <laughs> um, manages to <laughs> go ahead turn turn hell into the tourist destination of the year. And things are looking up. Things are going great. Devils. Um, really enjoying all of the fresh business until he's not because it's just so crowded and he can't get a moment's peace. So he um, com comes to Crucible like, oh my gosh, you have got to, like, it is so, it's so loud there and I can't, I, I just can't even think. And a voice comes out of the heavens and is like, so do you want to come back? <laughs> and the devil's like, yes, please. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I just want to come home. And the devil disappears, poof, in a puff of smoke. And uh, Crucible looks out the window and it says, uh, uh, a hand of light gives him a little salute and uh, for a job well done. <laughs> and so you, you find out that Crucible was uh, double dipping on the clients there. For <laughs> <laughs> okay. So general thoughts on this story. Tori, why did you pick this story? Besides, it was his first story. It was so clever. Just so many, like, every, all all the little jokes about the devil and Hades. And uh, there's there's a line about, oh, yeah, Cerberus hasn't been the same since he bit Orpheus in the leg. And it's like, that, that wasn't in the story. And the devil's like, yeah, the, the real story was way more interesting than the myth was. And... It's just so clever. There's just so much going on. It's it's like every every other sentence is a joke. And like when the and devil first appears in Crucible's office, and Crucible says, "What the devil?" and the devil says, "Yeah." <laughs> I I just got to say that a 13 year old that references the Divine Comedy has got to be a pretty special 13 year old. <laughs> references divine comedy and proceeds to make fun of it throughout the entire yes. story like it does not like yeah. divine comedy <laughs> so. he's like ever since that oh now i'm blanking on the name of the author of the divine economy dante. dante dante ever since that dante dude i mean he, he's the last person down here like yes. nobody comes down here anymore 
Yeah. <laughs> Mark, what do you think? So this is the one I read twice because I couldn't believe that 13-year-old read, uh, wrote it, right? So I noticed how as, as a good 13-year-old schoolboy, he made sure to, to be as accurate as he could to, to the religion. So we're all the people. Well, they all went to heaven after they, they, they had their, their, their sentence over. I'm like, good choice. The second time was when I noticed the, the protagonist's name, Crucible. Right. Yes. yes. Right? And I'm like, oh, you did this at 13. And I, it just it blew me away that he kind of had that. He already had that knack for like embedding layers within a story already at that age. And to your point, I mean, he had like it was a joke a minute, which was fine. Like some of the transitions were abrupt, whatever. But again, we're talking about a thirteen-year-old writing the story, right? So, yeah, it was. I, I cannot imagine my son's fourteen. I can imagine my son who's fourteen or my daughter who's twelve writing anything close to this. Like not even like I could give them a year and they couldn't do this. That, that <laughs> it was amazing. So, can you imagine you writing a story like this? No, I don't have the Christian background to do it. And I'm not funny. So. <laughs> that is such a cop-out. You know what I mean. And I'm not funny. I'm not funny. What, what can I say? So. You there are were, funny. There are parts of it that I can picture a 13-year-old coming up with because, uh, you know, as someone who used to be a, a teacher, some of the cleverest one-liners I have ever heard came out of the mouths of these kids. But... There's so many of them packed into such a short story, and um, it's just raw talent is all it is. I it w- was a little shocked about the amount of references to alcohol. <laughs> I was like a little thrown off by that just because of his age, not because they weren't funny or good. It's just like he's Crucible drinks a lot, so does the devil, and it's just a lot of drinking. <laughs> it makes me. Makes me wonder a little bit. <laughs> well, no, it, it makes sense. That, you know, uh, at thirteen, especially in that time period, was it was in the sixties, right? Yeah, sixty-three. And also, he lived in England, where drinking is. A, I mean, very different than in America. It, it wasn't necessarily really a taboo, and it was kind of at thirteen. Oh, that it's fun when you're drinking. There's no downsides to drinking, right? They don't perceive it that way, right? So, of course, of course, the devil will be drinking. That's just crazy, right? yeah i I gotta say that the thing that really sold the story to me was the end where Mm -hmm. he's like he's like just take me back to heaven yes (laughs) and you i i was left wondering was this actually part of crucible's plan oh yeah yeah because after he wants to he I mean, his name is Crucible. <laughs> right. So, anyway. no, uh, af- after he and the devil negotiate the price for services, and Crucible's like, I really want that 40,000 pounds, but I don't want the devil running around loose, is what he says. So he thinks about it, and then he, he's like, oh, I gotta, I gotta stop at the church for a minute. And then the story <laughs> goes on from there. And it's just one throwaway line, like, oh, hang on, I just gotta stop at the oh, church for the, a minute. I, I and, missed uh, the part about him stopping at the church. I missed yeah, that Yeah, and then at the end of the story, yeah, it, that was his plan. It, it was just to make hell as obnoxious as possible so that the devil wanted to leave. Okay, Mark, go. 
So I chose the sea and little fishes. I went through and I read through every foreword, and I tried to narrow down which forewords I liked the best. And the two that I liked the best was this one and the one about, have you ever written something because you were so angry at something? And then you just take, took what you wrote and you just put it away. And I was sat there nodding my head. I'm like, yes, I do that every day. Yes. <laughs> but then I read this one and basically why did he pick this? Because he made up a saying called the sea and little fishes, which to be clear has nothing at all to do with the story. So I had to pick that one because it was completely nonsensical to the story itself. So this is about Granny Weatherwax. Who, is it though? Uh, or is it about Nanny Oz? Well, let me, well are you going to let me finish? You, yes. You, yes. You, didn't even let me you can tell me to shut up. Just say shut up, Allison. I, I will never tell you to shut up. You want to go ahead and talk, talk. I don't have to tell the summary. We're fine. <laughs> you know, tell the summary. I'm sorry. Okay. So this is a story about uh, Granny Weatherwax. Uh, going to do the yearly witch trial competition, which she regularly wins. And the, the there's a committee that's being formed that doesn't want her to do it. And they're being nice about trying to get her to not do it. And as you go through the story, you learn that Granny Weatherwax is, you know, perhaps a little bit unpleasant, but she always does the right thing. You may not like it, you may not like how she does it, but she always does the right thing. She's just a little bit unpleasant about it. And everybody else, they're super pleasant, but they're not necessarily always doing the right thing. So they convince her, or they believe they convince her, to not compete in the competition. So she goes, okay. And then she goes around being nice to everybody. She's just extra nice to everybody. And people freak out because they can't believe this super unpleasant woman um, is being nice. And she's being genuinely nice. Now, mind you, she's not very good at being nice, so she makes cake that tastes pretty horrible. She makes jam that doesn't taste good. She makes flags that are made out of old clothes. She's just not good at it. But she's genuinely trying, right? That's what, and she acts it all the way through until the witches who want her out of the competition say, stop being nice. And they slap her and they realize they messed up and by default, she wins the competition because everybody was so rattled about her uh, doing something. And then at the end, she's meeting with her friend, what was it, Nanny Og? Mm -hmm. And Nanny Og, they're, they're going through kind of what happened and everything. And they, they talk about what, what it takes to be a wizard or be a witch. The ending was, so did this end the right way? And the answer was yes. And then Granny says, that's nice. And that's how it ended. And it just, look, obviously this is a much more mature Terry Pratchett, but it reminded me uh, of something I try to teach my kids. Uh, we should all try to teach our kids. There's a difference between being good and doing good. And Granny is in Gab, and Granny's the epitome of, I will do the right thing no matter what. And that's contrasted against everybody else. So. But I have many thoughts about this story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I actually do think the story is a much more about Nanny Og because this is a and the other witch stories are they're told much more from uh, Granny Weatherwax's point of view. This is a chance to get into uh, Nanny's head, and that's why I say it's about her. I love that she has a still out in the middle of the woods that nobody knows about except everybody knows about it. 
I love that she had the story of her life could only be told in a plain covered book <laughs> because she's just so she's just so um naughty and submersive and subversive not submersive um I love that she wants to come in second place. She's like, I'm fine. I just want to be in second place. Like, that's okay. It's a thing. And I love that she has this straight-laced friend who is a terror. And Nanny Og does the right thing, too. She's just nice about doing the right thing. So those, well, those are my initial thoughts. And, well, I also love the scene where she's... Nanny eventually gets the right thing. She eventually gets the right thing, but she'll go along to get along for for a lot of the time. Maybe, maybe, uh, and that's why I say that I'm Nanny Og and you're Granny Weatherwax. <laughs> so I didn't understand what you meant until I read the story, and then I was like, "That's one of the nicest compliments anybody has ever given me." For real, <laughs> I consider it a, a, the highest compliment ever. Like. I, I actually texted my wife. She's like, I, I'm reading a book about a 70-year-old witch. And she's like, huh? I was like, trust me, I'll explain it when you get home. But I have to say, if I wasn't married to you, I would be in love with this woman. I like, <laughs> I, I love Bunny Weatherwax. Oh, my God. So I also <laughs> love one particular scene before we get to Tori. Sorry, Tori. Mm-hmm. Where Nanny Og is talking to um, Granny Weatherwax. And she says, and Granny's trying to bake. And she thinks about vinegar. How how are your pickles doing, <laughs> Granny? <laughs> oh, it was just such a subtle little line about honey and vinegar and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Tori, what do you anyway. think? <laughs> uh, so I actually read this story when it came out. Uh, this came out in the late 90s. It was originally part of an anthology called uh, Legends. And um, I, I remember I bought the anthology just because this story was in it. There, this story, and there was also a, a Wheel of Time story, I think. Um, I, I think that was where New Spring came from before it became its own standalone novel, actually. Um I just want to say that this is um, absolutely typical of Nanny and Granny's relationship. So mm-hmm. if you read all the other Discworld books, uh, and uh, Allison, I disagree that um, I think the witch stories are very much, you get into Nanny's head in those as well. Um, okay, so like, I, I would say they're sort of half and half uh, Granny and Nanny. Um in a lot of ways. Um, like, in, I, I have a particular friend who is very much my nanny og um, because I am a, a coward and I fear authority. And so I've always been very straight laced and do the right thing. And um, I am nowhere near as um, steel underneath as uh, Granny Weatherwax is. Like, I, I aspire to be as as hard as she is um because she can be hard but still bend but she gets her way a lot and i admire that as someone who is kind of a doormat and gets walked over like granny weatherwax gets her way and when all of these other witches are like no we don't want you competing because you're too good well she she showed them (laughs) like 
So yeah, I love this story. And uh, it does say right there in the introduction that um, the the title is a made up, you know, a Pratchett made up the phrase that the title comes from. But uh, it to me, it puts me in mind of like, you know, the, the big fish in a small pond. And um, but uh, Granny is the big fish of, out of all the ponds. <laughs> <laughs> and nanny is her little fish that doesn't mind yeah she, she's that she's that little what's it the the remora fish that like follows the big fish around and they have kind of a, a symbiotic relationship that's see i really think that i'm gonna defer to you because i've not read all the witches books on that i'm sure that you're probably correct um the only completed series i've read with witches is the tiffany aching books Mm. Yeah, uh, you're you're right. Nanny hardly features at all in the Tiffany Aching books. It's very Granny is very much the um, the the and, older witch in there. Yeah, no, I've I've uh, read one other witch book besides the Tiffany Tiffany Aching books. I've not read. I'm not a completist, shall we say? <laughs> <laughs> but um, I just really appreciate that. Like I said, she she's willing. I think there is some value in, you know what? I know how that person's already feeling, but I'm going to ask them because it weirds them out when I, I just know how they're feeling and things like that. Like, And I'm not saying that oh, Granny is wrong. I'm just saying that Nanny's approach has value too. Yes. I feel like Nanny is a much more... Um... Uh, not approachable, but um, attainable character. Nanny Og is an attainable character. Granny Weatherwax is going to do the right thing because it's the right thing, and she's going to do it by God. Um, but Nanny Og is like, oh my gosh, I know that's the right thing, and it's going to be really hard, but I guess we're going to do it because it's the right thing. And, that, and that's much more the attitude that I can reflect in, in my day-to-day -day life. <laughs> I think there's a difference, difference, and I think this this story uh, touches on it. There's a difference between empathy and compassion. So, mm. Granny is compassionate. Granny Weatherwax, she's compassionate. She gets it. She 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 knows that people are going through tough stuff, and she's going to go ahead and do the right thing. She doesn't have much empathy for people because oh, it's going to hurt. Boo hoo! I'm going to fix it. So stop crying about it, right? Whereas. You see everybody else, they're much more on the empathy side than the compassion side. They're using empathy as a tool to relate and communicate with people, but aren't necessarily engaging, oh, is this actually, how's it going to actually make Granny feel? Or how's this going to affect everybody else overall? That's actually one of the thoughts I had when I read it. And and I know that, that you, you tease me about the, the whole Granny thing, but it's actually a little bit true too. There's always a kernel of truth in that. I'm very low on the empathy scale. It's a trait I've learned. It's not a trait I come by. Mark's an always telling me to <laughs> stop and think, like slow down. Because I'll charge forward if I if I think I'm right about something or something's right. I don't care. I I don't. I never have ever in my life, and I can relate. Right, and actually, when I read the story, actually, the first thing it reminded me of, and I'm going to divert, I'm going to tell you a personal story. It reminded me of my uh, something my son did when he was 
eight years old. Um, I have family in Argentina. We went to go visit them. So we went to go visit them. So one day, like we went to a mall in the morning and then we bought my son and my, my daughter like soccer balls and stuff. We left and then we went over to another part of Buenos Aires. Buenos Aires is a big game city, right? So we were a good 45 minutes away from where we originally were. And my son was grumpy the whole time and just pissed off. Just grumpy, grumpy, grumpy. And then we went to Boca. We saw the tango. We saw all the stuff going around. Then we sit down to eat. As we sit down to eat, he just slams his uh, fist down the table. He kicks it. I'm like, dude, enough. Enough of the attitude. What's wrong? And he points to a dog that's sitting, sitting out there on the street. He's like, we've seen dogs all over town, and we saw dogs at the mall, and nobody's taking care of them, and this isn't right. And I'm like, so what do you want to do? I want to go back and fix it. So what? So I'm like, it's a pain in the ass. It's going to like completely divert our day. But you know what? We stopped. We went back. We got a big bowl of water. We got food. We did all that stuff. And we went out there and we fed the dogs. And my son hid in the corner because he wanted to see the dogs eat. So the dogs like were suspicious of the food and they started eating it and they started wagging their tails. And then people came back and they started petting the dogs, right? Instead of kicking them. And the guards, uh, the security guards, they came and they saw us and they're like, you know, thank you. We try to feed the dogs when we can. And my son, he was just like, it was the right thing. Why wouldn't you do it? Right. And it's that doing the right thing, no matter what that he has, that when I read Granny Weatherwax, that's what it reminded me of. And that's something that we always try to nurture. He has it naturally, but we try to nurture it in our kids. It's just it's such a valuable thing. But anyways, I just, it reminded me of that. That's so such a good story. It is a good story. So do you think that Nanny Og is wrong? Nanny Og is a normal person. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But I think she's a good person. Yes. She's a good person. It's fine. Like, uh, the, but she's on the good side of normal. She's still a normal person. It's like, I'd rather go along to get along. I'll eventually, I'll do the right thing once I'm forced to it. But I don't necessarily want to be bothered to go out of my way to do the right thing. Uh, I disagree with that. Yeah, I, 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 do. I, I think you're I, right in that she gets to the right thing eventually. But she doesn't have to be forced to it. She'll just be cussing the whole time. Like she will get to it on her own. <laughs> but she'll be and mad she, about it. Like and, and she wants to do good as well. And she tries to do good. And she does good often. Like she just wishes good was easier. <laughs> she does. Well, but also well, she's better yeah, at you, you guys she's are talking from a place I've only read one story, guys, remember? That's Hold true. On. Yeah, that's true. I was gonna say, so like there's the scene where they're talking about being nice or being nicer. And Granny Weatherwax says, are there any old people who need to be visited? And Og's like, uh, uh. No, good. But there is good. And just Nanny Og showing up and saying, hi, how are you doing? Can I hear some soup? And can I wash your feet? And like, that's good too. That She's doing good in that way. Oh, yeah. But let me say this. E even though like, you know, we, we just talked about how Granny will do the right thing no matter what. She's also petty as hell, which also reminds me. Oh, of me. She is petty. <laughs> um, I, the and first part of the book, I damn near, like, I had to stop. I was laughing so hard, tears were coming down my face. 
where Nanny was talking to Granny, going, I'm making dinner tonight. Oh, yeah, what are you making? Pork. Yeah? With applesauce? Yeah? Are you coming? No. Well, she's also, she's mad. <laughs> she's just a little pissed off about the whole apple thing with Antioch at the <laughs> beginning. So I'm like, okay, this is awesome. I love it. So. <laughs> she's like pissed because somebody wanted to name apples after Nanny. And then she gets onions named after her at the end of the book. <laughs> Would you like some vinegar for those pickling of those onions, Granny? <laughs> so, but anyways. I can I, talk about it, but anyways, I love it. I love it, and I, I look. I, I definitely want to. I will uh, go and read the stories of Granny Weather Wife now. After this, that, that's such a fun and interesting character. Oh man, I love it when Death shows up for her, and that's not a spoiler, guys, because Death shows up for everyone. <laughs> All right, let's hear about your story, Allison. <laughs> so my summary is going to be very simple. An old barbarian goes and confronts an old troll, and then they end up commiserating about everything that's wrong with their lives, and the whole story is basically old man shakes his fist at clouds. Yes. And that's why I picked it. Yeah. <laughs> What's the story called? It's called The Troll Bridge. <laughs> There's not a, a lot of plot <laughs> to this story. <laughs> There's a lot so. of commiserating. And I just love that these this barbarian Co Cohen, not Cohen, yeah, Cohen, Cohen, yeah, and this troll who they're they're both kind of out of step with time, and the wife is grumpy, and there's no more trolls to fight, and there's this and there's that, and they just are grumpy old men talking to each other. <laughs> way back at the beginning of this episode where I said he's a keen observer of the human condition. This is the story I was thinking of when, when I said that. So, for example, you know, he's talking to the barbarian. He's like, he has his wife come out to meet him and she's like, starts bitching about where's the money? How are you going to get the money? How are you going to pay for the meals? What are you going to do for this and then the other? And he's trying to say, hey, but look at this job I'm doing and this is important and all this other stuff and I don't care where's the money. Which reminds me on every 1st and 15th with my wife. <laughs> where she's I like, hope she doesn't listen to this podcast, Mark. Oh, it's fine. How's your day, Mark? I had a great day. So what'd you do? So I tell her about like this whole complicated stuff I was doing at work and how we accomplished this goal and how we advanced the, the interests of my clients forward. She's like, that's great. Where's the direct deposit check? Mm -hmm. <laughs> every first and 15th every single time and i'm just like okay terry you nailed that it's just it's just things like that and it was just so funny he's like and, and the troll is like meanwhile there's a whole there's stones missing from my bridge and the kids are grumpy and they want to move out and nobody wants to take on the tradition that i'm holding i'm upholding the tradition here and Cohen is exactly the same. He's up holding a tradition. <laughs> There's just nowhere to do it anymore. Tori? So it actually reminds me of um, your real life example. Uh, in, in my hometown, there was a, a family farm that was like famous all over the state and uh, grew like world record winning produce and um and the uh, kids uh who are my age uh, i went to school with uh, with two of them 
didn't want to be farmers. And so this family farm that's been in the area for literal decades uh, got sold off piecemeal and uh, the the big barn where they had their produce stand got torn down and and everyone's sad about it. But at the same time, it's like farming's hard and and the kids didn't want to and. So that's right. that's kind of what it made me think of is that yeah there's the there's the traditions and they were noble and but kind of got to move with the times a little bit and it's sad for the old guys and it's sad but, for the tradition but at the same time time moves on well i, I kind of like how it ended so do you just give them the money well i got three addresses so the troll spent a long time talking about the three brothers-in-law that he really doesn't like. So, oh, right. <laughs> so, talk about an old man stopping the march of time there at the end, or at least trying to. That's you know, there, there was that message that was being sent out to. I like how the horse is always bitching at him about how have you given away all the money again? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's well, it's you, like you, a- could, you could tell what you could tell where Shrek got his, uh, the the donkey Shrek got its inspiration. Yeah. I'm going to call out whoever wrote the, the Shrek story as liars if they hadn't read Terry Pratchett. <laughs> straight up, that's what it was, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, like I said, I, I, I honestly picked it. Well, speaking of personal stories, my grandfather really wanted my dad, when he got out of the military after Vietnam, to come and farm with him. The farm that my grandfather owned. Sorry, Grandpa was not a good farm and no. was not making money <laughs> and also my dad didn't like it he liked gardening like he was like fine with his little like little you know potatoes in the backyard thing like that that's all he wanted to do he didn't like it as a profession and like i said it didn't make money and so my grandfather is very much the troll <laughs> his bridge does not make money <laughs> Why would the kids not want to go live with Uncle Blah 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 and make some freaking money? I mean, I think now that I'm thinking about it, I th- I'm wondering if that's really, really the reason why I picked it. Like some psychological thing going on in my brain that made me pick the story. Maybe. Anything else you guys want to say? Well, uh, I wanted to add that Cohen is uh, another recurring character that shows up in uh, a couple of the Discworld books. And uh, these these themes of um, growing older and outliving your usefulness, uh, Cohen really gets to the heart of that and uh, has just a, a wonderful story arc if you take all of his books together. Um, I had said that the second Discworld book, which is The Light Fantastic, uh, was one of my favorites, and Cohen features prominently in that one. So he was uh, not just a recurring character, but an early one, too. So one of the things I really like about short stories is that you get to try lots and lots and lots of different types of authors. And then if you find something you like, like I did last night when I was reading Trey Pratchett, you can stop and go, oh, what else has he written? And then go purchase them, right? It's a great way to kind of market themselves and then to find out, see what you like and don't like. So 
you know, for people who kind of go, gosh, why do you, why are we talking about short stories? Well, the main reason why is to find out whether or not you like an author, right? Because if you like, if you like what they write in this little space, you might like what they write in a larger space. I also, and we talked about this for our last episode. I also find it interesting which authors write solid short stories and which ones don't and how oftentimes authors who write really great long stories write not so great short stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And vice versa. And vice, and vice versa. versa. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah, I'm great. Like- See. So I'm very interested to see how Trey Pratchett does in longer form. But go ahead, Tori. Uh, well, I was going to say, um, like Brandon Sanderson, for example, I don't think is capable of writing a short story. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> all Did of you his... listen to our last episode? <laughs> no, no, I didn't. Uh, <clears throat> have Tori, I just repeated Tori, it? <laughs> you're my new favorite person. Oh, that's oh. great. That's exactly what we said. No, that, uh, or that's we, what Mark said. I conceded, we, but I disagree with you about the particular story you're talking about. I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> but we did talk about how Jim Butcher writes a stellar short story every oh, single time. Oh, he does. Yes, yes. Um, I've, I've rather enjoyed. Uh, I, I started rereading The Dresden Files, and I have been reading all of the short stories um, in, in not, not publication order, but like in the, in the order of where they go in the series. Right. right. And, uh, right. and, and I've enjoyed every one of those short stories. Um, I, I feel like, yeah. And, um, some of I, his longer books though, man. Yeah. yeah. Not good. Well, not good. When I, um, so when I was in college and I had to read a lot for class and I was so, uh, I was so busy and, my brain just could not hold any more information in it. I went through a whole like two year period of where I, I read nothing but short stories. And I, in that time devoured um, every collected work of Ray Bradbury that was out there. Um, but then later when I got over the short story thing and I tried reading his novels, I was like this, they're great, but this man wrote short stories he like that was what he that was what he was good at and that was what he did and uh, again the martian chronicles and fahrenheit 451 are stellar but i feel like they could have been short stories and i that's probably heresy someone's probably going to burn me at the stake for that but um no just just your books they're gonna come burn all your books No, but yeah, but you're right. Sh- writing short is a skill. Yes. Just like writing long is a skill, and and just, well, the thing about the other, the thing about Pratchett is, um, and and when you start getting into the Discworld series, you're going to find this. Uh, he did not do chapter breaks in most of the Discworld. It it was like some of the later books have chapters, but for the most part, it's just sections. So he'll do a scene and then there's like a line break and then he'll go into another scene that may have different characters, maybe the same characters, uh, but there are no chapters. So all of the books, uh, the early books especially, go just rapid fire, um, scene after scene, um, 
you think, oh, I'm just going to read until I get to the next stopping point, and then you keep going because, well, hey, hey, you know, that was just a little break. I'm just going to, I'll stop after the next one, and you just keep going. Um, so it's, it ends up coming off as more of a series of short scenes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and, and a lot of Pratchett's works, uh, will have two or three climaxes throughout the, throughout the book. Like you'll get to a point like in the middle of the book where you're like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is the end of the book. And then the book is, you're only halfway through and it just keeps going. And, uh, there will be an even better, more extreme climax after that. And he, it's just so, uh, he, yeah, he's, he's great at long fiction too, is what I'm trying to say. Yes, he is. I've enjoyed everything I've read by him. And I actually really do like the color magic because I love the luggage. It's like my oh, yes. favorite. <laughs> the luggage okay. is amazing. Unlike you, I don't like spoilers. Okay. <laughs> it's not the a luggage spoiler. It's just a character. <laughs> it's a character. And, and the if luggage you, is a character. <laughs> yeah. And if you, if you read the books in publication order, you're going to meet the luggage pretty uh, swiftly because uh, he's right there in the first book. Yeah. Okay, Tori, do you have anything you would like to plug? Uh, well, uh, I am one of the co-hosts on the Cosmere Deep Dive podcast. So if you do enjoy the Cosmere books of Brandon Sanderson, you can come and join us over there. You'll find us at uh, anywhere that you listen to your podcasts, uh, or you can visit our uh, Patreon, which is patreon.com slash CosmereCast. You'll find a link to our Discord server, which uh, you don't have to be a patron to join, but... Um, we have a very fun um, discussion uh, just about every week, and we also have this fantastic channel of animal pics. So come and come and join us over there. And your lovely Good Things channel. Oh, yeah. We start every episode with a good thing, uh, which is unrelated to the Cosmere, unless uh, you, you believe that everything is Cosmere when you get right down to it. Um, uh, yeah, I think you guys do believe that, to be honest. We, we kind of joke about it, but it's really starting to seem likely. I mean, Alice in Wonderland is now part of the class. It is, yeah. Uh, I mean, we that that was that was not our rules. Like it, it fits. <laughs> anyway, so thanks so much for joining us tonight. Her music <laughs> is "Better Days" by John Worthy. You can contact us at wordlesspod at gmail dot com. I'm Allison. That guy's Mark, and that lady is Tori. Thank you so much for listening. Because apparently I'm the only person I know that reads and enjoys Stephen Brust. And I think it's criminal that he's so underrated. Yeah, you go ahead. You, you, go ahead. you read one book of his. Go ahead. Go ahead. And I liked it. It was about a gangster. <laughs> or no. No, I don't even remember. <laughs> She's full of shit. Don't listen to her. Okay, so so here's the thing. So, By the way, Tori, just so you know, this is how we always talk to each other. <laughs> okay, we're fine. No, it's brother and sister fighting. It's fine. Yeah, you you have so, great rapport. <laughs> so he's got this one world that he's written books in. The ones that are set earlier in time, but he wrote later in publication. Those are all an homage to Three Musketeers. He creates a character inside the story who's an historian. The dude super pretentious. He'll use ten words. No wonder you like word. him. Yeah.